The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. I'm Mary Woods, and I'm your host, and I'm just coming back from vacation, so please excuse me this week. I'm a little uh, <laughs> left on the island, but um, I'm really happy today to have as our guest um, Ronald Mandershide, who's a Ph.D. and has served as Director of Mental Health and Substance Use Programs at the Global Health Sector of SRA International since 2006. In this capacity, he... He is developing new demonstration and research projects around mental health and substance use services, programs, and systems using a public health framework. Previously, he served as branch chief, survey, and analysis branch for the Federal Center for Mental Health Services, uh, SAMHSA, which is part of SAMHSA, I believe, isn't it, Ron? It was part of SAMHSA, yes. Right. And during the Clinton national health care reform debate, um, he served as a senior policy advisor on national health care reform in the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. He's also served as a principal editor for eight editions of Mental Health United States. He has also authored numerous scientific and professional publications on services to persons with mental illness. Each month he prepares the Manderscheid Report for Behavioral Health Care, which is a publication um, that's available through... Van Dome, I believe. Yes, it's Van Dome. Yeah, and um, you've also worked in a number of positions with the National Institute of Mental Health. So thank you so much for being our guest today and tackling this huge debate around health care reform, which I guess is no longer a debate because they're actually working on some type of a reform bill. And I was wondering if you could begin by sharing with all of us the background for health care reform and how we've gotten to the point that we are today with our abysmal health care. I, I think that's a very good place to start, and I guess the very first thing I'd want to say is I'm very enthusiastic about health reform because I actually believe that for the first time in 15 years, we actually have a chance of putting together some very good legislation here and of moving this critical agenda. So you say, you know, kind of what's going on in this area. It seems to me uh, the major things we're concerned with in behavioral health care and substance abuse and mental health are really three things. We're concerned about having good insurance coverage for these issues. We're concerned about good integrated care. So when you need primary care, it's available. When you need specialty care, it's available. And we're also very concerned that we move upstream and we get into prevention and early intervention and so on. Let me spend just a few minutes talking about each of these. So on the issue of good coverage, we know today there are about 46 million people who have no health insurance. That breaks down into about 8 million children, 
and about 38 million adults. We all, and we know that that number represents about 16 to 17 percent of the population of the United States. Uh, when you put it all together, in the case of adults, it's about one in five adults. In the case of children, it's about one in ten children. But we also know another fact here that's very important to your listeners who are concerned about behavioral health care. That is that the rate of uninsurance for people with mental health or substance abuse issues is double the national uninsurance rate. So the rate in our populations is about a quarter to a third. So a quarter to a third of the people who have mental health and substance abuse problems simply don't have any insurance. And you compare that rate, the rate of a third, which is about 33 or 34%, to 16% in the general population, you can see the magnitude of our issue here. So we're very, very concerned about moving the agenda here on good insurance coverage. Let me move to good integrated care. And good integrated care... There are many models of integrated care ranging from placing specialty care in primary care settings to placing primary care in specialty settings. And then there's kind of a bridge concept in between of a care coordinator who sorts people into the right place and so on. Many, many people who need good integrated care, who have behavioral health problems, simply don't have access to it. And some of my own research on the mental health side shows that public mental health clients die 25 years younger than other people, basically for lack of good primary care. So they will get high blood pressure, they will get diabetes, those things will remain untreated, and if left untreated, those disorders will kill you. Similarly, on the substance abuse side, many, many people with substance abuse problems have comorbid physical health conditions. Uh, Many people, uh, for example, who have substance abuse problems also have diabetes, as an example. And one of the issues here is if you don't get good coordinated care, where you're getting good specialty care for your substance abuse or mental health problem, and you're getting good physical care for your physical condition, you simply won't do very well on either side, and the worst outcome is dying. An intermediate kind of outcome is if you don't get primary care and you need it, you won't do well in your specialty care either. So we're very concerned about good integrated care. And then the third level here, good prevention. It's obvious that if we can move the health care system upstream from direct care of people with chronic conditions to helping to prevent those chronic conditions before they occur. And by prevent, I guess I don't mean here that within a few years we're going to expect all of our chronic diseases to disappear. I guess by prevention what I mean here is can we delay the onset of the chronic diseases by four or five years by implementing better prevention before they occur? or even going up one step further, what are the things that can be done with people who have no health problems at all to promote better health for them so they don't even enter the era of moving into the chronic diseases? 
And so I think these are all very exciting things. We in the health fields have talked about these things for years, and I think one of the things that will occur with the current administration and the current Congress is they take all these things very seriously, and they're going to work all these things into national health care reform. So I think I'm very excited about this and very pleased to be able to share this with your listeners today. Well, it certainly is on everyone's mind, and those of us who um, work in behavioral health, we're always kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because benefits are so restricted. And like at Westbridge, we're private pay, but that kind of limits our ability to work with a great number of people. And I, I guess one of my concerns is how are we going to reform a system where insurance is, a, is kind of driven by shareholders? I mean, do you see that changing? Well, I think, you know, a number of things that go back to universal coverage again, and in, in considering universal coverage issues and working toward universal coverage, I think what will need to be done on the Hill, uh, particularly around uh, the behavioral health conditions, mental health and substance abuse, is we're going to need to put together some set of insurance plans, not a single plan, but some set of insurance plans that make sure that the plans we're putting together actually cover the people who need those plans and where those people are coming from. For example, there are likely to be a number of bills on the Hill. There's likely to be a bill that advocates the expansion of Medicaid, for example. Um, and one of the issues would be we, we know that there are significant numbers of people, maybe perhaps a third of the uninsured people under 100% of poverty and a third of the uninsured people between 100 and 200% of poverty who have mental health or substance use conditions and who would benefit from a Medicaid plan. I think that we should have on the table the expansion of Medicaid to allow those people to be covered. For other people who are in the private sector who are working for small businesses, you probably would want to craft another type of solution for that. In all of this, however, I think the, the getting together of this entire team of all these different health plans will need to look at two things that aren't really done very well. In virtually none of the plans, public or private, do we do prevention or early intervention or promotion very well. That issue will need to be looked at. And I would also argue in the private plans, we don't do catastrophic care very well. So I think that issue will have to be re-looked at. And once you go to universal coverage where part of the cost that you're paying right now through your private insurance is to support people using uh, emergency rooms who would not need to use emergency rooms if they themselves had coverage, you'll begin to see these plans being able to work together probably in a way that we haven't seen previously. Now, I recognize that's kind of a roundabout way of saying, you know, I think we're going to get a good chance at universal coverage. We're probably not going to have a single-payer system here. Do you see the still managed benefit, managed care model? As well, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a role for managed care in this process, but managed care will not be the major player here. The major player here will be everybody 
think of a world where virtually every American citizen has their own health insurance, and because they have their own health insurance and they have coverage, they can get access to a primary care delivery system and a specialty care delivery system where they should need it. That's a, a wonderful lot, a thought. Of, and I, pardon? That's a wonderful thought, and we can explore it and we can back from break. Okay, thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, and we're talking today about health care reform as it, as it affects the behavioral health care segment of our um, population. And before we went to break, Ron was asking us to envision a health care system where everyone had individual coverage and access to the both primary and behavioral health care that they needed, which to me sounds absolutely wonderful. And what are the key issues around health care and health care reform that we have to kind of look at before we get to this point, Ron? Well, I think there are a number of key issues, and I want to point out to your listeners uh, some resources that will help them with these things. Uh, and maybe, uh, Mary, we can put some of these up on your website. Yep. Some, some of the issues we are going to have to deal with going into health care reform have been articulated by President Obama as some, what he calls his eight principles of health reform. And I want to 
quickly go through these for your listeners because I think they're all very informative. And I guess they are touchstones or issues we have, to your point, we need to be concerned about as we go through this to make certain that things turn out okay on the other end of the process. So he has, President Obama has articulated eight principles of health reform, the first one of which is protect families' financial health. And so you know and I know and many of your listeners know that if you get a catastrophic disorder in the United States, if someone in your family gets, gets uh, cancer or someone in your family gets schizophrenia, or someone in your family develops a tremendous addiction problem, this can literally ruin the family. They can run through the family's health insurance. They can run through the family's resources and literally ruin the family financially. So we need to create a system where this does not happen. Second principle, make health coverage affordable. If you look at most health plans, and my own case, my son just uh, graduated from our family health plan at age 22. In his case, the plan that we are just starting for him, and he's transitioning now from college into a job in the summer months, and it's informative here. So uh, the coverage that we used to have for him now will cost him $500 a month. Uh, while he is in this transition period until he's employed by his employer. Once he's employed by his employer, he will have a 90-day waiting period before he can be covered by the, the business's health insurance plan. So if I look at that and I say, you know, is $500 a month affordable for a, a young guy who's 22 years old? I would say it's probably on the upper side. If you did not get help from your family, that's probably very high. So, And there are many, many stories out there of many, many people who would love to have health insurance coverage. They simply don't have the money to have it. If you don't have the money, you will go without the health insurance coverage. Many people in small businesses, that's true. Aim for universality. And universality here is very important because if we don't get universality, we're still going to have a large number of people using forms of health care that are very expensive that actually, you know, cost thousands of dollars a day. So if you don't have health insurance and you have to go to the local emergency ward of the local general hospital for your care, that care is going to cost $2,500 a day for you. And that is probably not the best way to do it. It's going to have very little continuity and so on. So universality of insurance coverage is a very important principle. Uh, fourth principle of President Obama, provide portability of coverage. And this is very important. Uh, for example, right now this is of concern because we recognize the unemployment rate is growing in the U.S. Under current legislation, someone who has health insurance coverage and loses their job has a right to continue coverage for up to 18 months. However, it would be like my son. That person would have to pay not only their share of the health insurance, they would have to pay their employer's share of the health insurance. And for many people, that's simply not affordable. So if you do a quick translation of that into numbers and say, well, how is that going to play out over the next couple of years? That could involve as many as 20 to 24 million people. And what 
I'm basing that on if there are basically 120 million workers in the United States and the unemployment rate becomes 10%, which would be 12 million of those people, and each of those 12 million people is responsible for the health insurance not only of themselves but at least one other person, you can see how I can easily quickly get to 20 to 24 million people moving from a situation where they're currently insured to a situation where they're not insured. That's why portability of coverage is so very important going forward here. And uh, we probably need to be looking at that in health reform to actually go beyond where we currently are in that process of you know, extending the coverage that I just described after someone loses their employment. <coughs> Let me go on to the other four uh, principles of President Obama. Guarantee choice. Now, what President Obama means by guarantee choice, um, that everybody in the United States should have a choice of health plans. You should not be in a circumstance where you can only choose one option. This was also very important in Clinton health care reform, and I think, you know, is, is a very important principle. It goes to your comment on managed care. I think if you have guaranteed choice of your health plan, that helps, you know, balance the concern of the managed care firm with the financing of the plan versus the rights of the individual to good coverage and good care and so on. Uh, next principle, invest in prevention and wellness. We talked a lot about that in the first segment this afternoon, I, and I really believe this group is going to take that up in a big way. Improve patient safety and quality of care. One of the things I always cite when I give talks is the fact that when you compare the United States with many other countries, we rank behind countries like Slovakia and Cuba in many of the common measures of the quality of our health care. Yet, we pay many times as much per year for the health care we receive. And currently, we're paying probably about $7,500 per person per year for health care, for those who receive health care in the United States. And yet, and that's compared to the next closest societies where at most $2,500 to $3,000 is paid, and yet we are achieving results that are worse than Slovakia or Cuba, it points to the fact that we need to pay a lot more attention to the quality of the care we're receiving and attention to how we're going to improve that quality in the new legislation. The final principle of President Obama Maintain long-term fiscal sustainability. And what he means by that is the fact that we need to design a system that we will have, our children will have, and our grandchildren will have, and not one that will cause the United States to go defunct financially. Uh, when President Obama opened the White House Conference on Health Reform and he closed that conference he talked about the fiscal sustainability of health reform and how important fiscal sustainability is to the viability of the United States, but also the importance of improved quality and so on in health care to the global competitiveness of the United States 
and the recovery of the United States from the current recession we're in. So I think these principles that President Obama has outlined give you a very good map of the types of things we need to keep track of as we go through health reform. And it would be a good checklist for your listeners to use to see whether the various bills that are going to be produced in the Congress actually measure up against these eight principles. Now, you had mentioned a resource that we could put on our... Oh, what, what I will do is I'm, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you several resources, one of which I will send you the e-version of these principles. You can put these up on your website. Okay, and for those of you who are listening that want to find out more about this, tomorrow log on to westbridge.org, and we'll have something up there for you. So when we look at these eight principles of, of health reform and we're thinking about a world in which everyone is covered, how do we guarantee, for one thing, that um, the health care in rural New Hampshire is going to be the same as the health care in Miami? Okay, that's a very good question, and I, I myself am very interested in health care delivery in rural areas and spent a lot of time in my federal career working with the National Association of Rural Mental Health and the National Rural Health Association. Well, one, there, are, there are a number of solutions to this that we need to develop further than they have been currently developed, and there are some lessons in this from the Defense Department. The Defense Department is very far advanced over <clears throat> where we are on the civilian side of the house in the application of information technology to healthcare. So let me simply describe kind of a, a website that you could go to if you were a, a military person or a military veteran to get help with things. So the, these websites that the Department of Defense is developing would allow you to come in at the first level and seek information. So let's say you have a problem with alcohol or you have a problem with depression. You can go into the website and get information to help you think that problem through. Second level, you can go into the website <clears throat> and do an assessment of your condition. If you want to do a formal assessment, that's there for you to do. It will self-score it for you and then will give you advice about what the recommendations would be for you to get care. The third level in the system allows you to choose among several different things. One level would be you can engage a provider and you can engage that provider in synchronous or asynchronous video communication. <clears throat> Another option would be you can engage an avatar. You would have an avatar, the provider would have an avatar, and the two avatars would interact. Or thirdly, you can actually move out of that system and you can engage in telephone therapy with a real provider. And then, of course, the fourth tier is if you're having an emergency and you call in, the system will then link to the local 911 system and the local care system and will try to help you with your condition. And we'll be right back for the second part of our show to talk more about health care reform and actions that we can take. We'll be right back. 
to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Hey, Jack, you got a sec? Yeah, sure, come on in. Yeah, I was wondering if you... Jack, your hair's on fire. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I just need to finish this sales report, and then I'll probably, I don't know, let me lie down for a bit. But I'm, I'm sure it'll go away. But the flames are getting bigger. Shouldn't I... Your hair, there's so much fire. No, 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 I'll be fine. What can I help you with? Oh, dear. Well, at least we know the sprinkler system works. You wouldn't ignore this, so why ignore the signs of a stroke? If you or someone you know suddenly experiences numbness of the face, arm, or leg, or sudden trouble speaking, seeing, or walking, don't wait to get help. Call 911 right away, because time lost is brain lost. To find out more, visit www.strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE. This message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, and we are going to continue our discussion on health care reform. And I would like to talk a little bit about one of the things that um, I heard about last month when I met Ron at NADAC's Advocacy in Action uh, program. And you were talking about one of the solutions for, for universal health care for um, a better delivery system was a medical home model. And um, you were also talking about a few other models that are being considered as well. And could you elaborate a little bit on what the current thinking is for the delivery systems? Oh, sure. Glad, glad to do that. Um, so for your listeners, um, there's been a lot of discussion around the health reform community of the importance of using a concept of a medical home, meaning a place where primary care and specialty providers can get together and deliver an integrated pattern of care to people who need integrated care. And then there are various variants of that basic model. 
when most people talk about this, they think of specialty providers coming to work for a primary care organization where the primary care organization is the delivery unit and the specialists are part of that unit. For the vast majority of Americans that don't have extreme health problems, that's probably a very good model, and I would strongly support that. For people who have more severe specialty problems, the kind of people that we're talking about on your program today, people who have serious mental health problems, people who have serious addiction problems, we probably want a slightly different model than that. We've known for many, many years that primary care physicians get very little training in behavioral health care. Maybe over the course of their training, they have only three or four hours of training in behavioral health care. We've also known that uh, primary care physicians and their assistants don't have very much time to spend with each client. I think the average currently is about eight minutes per client. Therefore, as we move into this concept of the medical home, I want to elaborate kind of another vision of the medical home for specialty care for people who have more serious problems, and that being one that the medical home is, in fact, a specialty medical home to which we do attach primary care services when they're needed. So it's the mirror image of the traditional medical care home for people who have serious mental health and or substance abuse problems. And there already are examples of this that are being developed out in the community. Um, let me cite some of these that the National Council of Community Behavioral Health Care has demonstrations underway where they are actually bringing primary care physicians into specialty organizations. And this would be needed for people who have the kind of physical health problems I was describing earlier in the program, a person with serious mental illness who also has diabetes, or a person with serious substance abuse problem who also has heart disease and so on, where the primary care service is absolutely essential but the medical home really is in the specialty sector. And so the National Council has done excellent work in developing the underlying idea here. And I want to add another kind of a third concept here. I would like to change the label from either a primary care medical home or a specialty medical home to a primary care health home or a specialty health home because I think going forward here in health reform, these kinds of entities are also going to need to do work more broadly with the community population in prevention, in early intervention, in promotion activities, and so on. We, we don't have another completely separate vehicle by which these other kinds of interventions can be implemented. And I think, you know, Medical implies disease, implies health care. Health implies wellness, implies longevity, and so on. And I think how we label things is very fateful for how they play out. So I'm a, a very strong advocate of calling these the health primary care home or the health 
specialty care home? You know, it's um, it's almost kind of going back to uh, one-stop shopping, if you will, for folks, which I would assume would be a lot easier for, for most people to access health care as well. Yeah, well, it, it, and we're also learning this type of thing in schools. Uh, for years, when I was in school, and I'm sure when you were there, if you had a health problem, you were given a permission slip and you went to your doctor. And you might be gone the whole afternoon or the whole day going and doing this appointment and so on. Well, why not create the reverse model of actually bringing health care into the school so that the health care the children need is right there. People get their inoculations. If someone comes in and they have a bad cold, they're taken care of and so on. Well, I think that's kind of the same idea that we've been talking about here of the medical home or of the health home. How do you put care together in a way that makes it very easy for people to access that care? And that's not only the fact that care probably be available in the same physical place so you can access it, it's also overcoming a lot of the policy barriers that make it difficult for people to access. Let me cite some examples of this. Uh, take a rural area. So we have a, a federally qualified health center out in a rural area. Someone comes in and they have a primary care visit, and they say, well, I also need to have, I need to talk to somebody. I also am feeling depressed, and I need to talk to the psychologist where the then the federally qualified health center say, that'll be fine, but you can't see that person today. You have to go home and you have to come back tomorrow because we cannot show on our books that you had a primary care encounter and a specialty care encounter on the same day. So we need to not only make it easy for people to get this care physically, we need to overcome some of the bureaucratic rules that make it very difficult for people to access this care, particularly people in rural areas who have to drive a great distance to access care at all, basically. Speaking of policy issues, um, do you see healthcare reform doing anything around block grants, which is how most behavioral health care is, is awarded in the public sector? Well, I think, you know, <clears throat> again, if you go back to where we started in the program, that Assume that everybody has personal health insurance. So if tomorrow I could snap my fingers and everybody had personal health insurance, how would that change the block grant program? And I think we need to be, we as a field, we as the mental health field and the substance abuse field need to be helping the federal government think that issue through. Do I think that, you know, we should completely do away with the block grant programs if everybody had personal insurance? Of course not. Because a lot of the problems that the block grant programs actually address are not problems just of financing a care. They also provide technical assistance to improve quality of care. They help these programs implement measurement systems to measure outcomes and performance. They help link different systems together so when there's innovation in one system, it's able to diffuse throughout the system and so on. So there are many functions that are performed by the block grant programs that are not simply financing of care. And so I think it would be a serious mistake to so-called throw out the baby with the bathwater here and say, well, we don't need those programs anymore. Let's do away with them and move on to something else. I think we do need technical assistance 
I think we do need help, particularly in improving the quality of care for our populations, particularly in the specialty areas where we've had difficulty getting appropriate financing in the past to be able to improve the care of those programs. We know that if everybody had health care insurance today who needed and wanted treatment for addiction, there are not enough treatment slots available. So how is health care reform going to um, adjust for that? Well, again, you know, I was one of the people in SAMHSA who worked on the plan for human resources in behavioral health care. And this is another document I want to make available to people who are listening to your program so they can actually go out and see the plan that was developed to transform human resources in behavioral health care to address the very issue that you're picking up on. And let me put a couple more highlights in that issue. <clears throat> we know that there are uh, grave concerns with the aging out of the baby boomer providers. So the average age, for example, of a psychiatrist in the United States right now is about 58 years. Well, if you look at that and you say, well, what's going to happen to that group of people? Within 10 to 12 years, most of those people will be retired. So we, we have an issue of replacement of baby boomers who are themselves going to retire. Then we go to the other end of the, of the system where we have new people coming into being care providers and we have a lot of churning. A lot of these people move from place to place. They move every two, three years and so on. Why do they move? They move to get a better salary. They move to get a better position and so on. But all that churning costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of training. So we need to be not only thinking about how we're going to replace these senior people who are aging out, we also need to understand that the beginning end of the system. And then I guess the third issue here for behavioral health care, we need to vastly improve our ability to give culturally competent care. As the diversity of the United States population increases, and it's going to increase dramatically, and this is increasing dramatically, we're going to have to widen our capacity in behavioral health care to deliver culturally competent care to now new immigrant populations who are coming from the Middle East or recently new immigrant populations that were coming from Vietnam or immigrant populations that are coming from South America implies a very broad range of cultural diversity that I don't think we currently have in behavioral health care. So there's very strong reasons why we need to implement the plan that we'll share with your readers and that why that type of activity is absolutely essential as part of health reform. Uh, this is, again, not something we've just recognized today. When I had the opportunity to work on Clinton health care reform, we recognized at that time that there was significant training needs, both in primary care and in specialty care, to address some of the kinds of issues that you're raising here. Okay, and we'll be right back for our final segment. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. Oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Oh, well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Uh. Shoot! Get away! Play with them, dear. Hornets hate high-pitched noises. Yeah, uh, try not to swallow too many. Get away! Knock that nest out of the park. You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. I can't see. Are they biting me? Oh, that's so cute. No, honey, hornets don't bite, silly. They sting. Ow. For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back um, for our final segment with Dr. Ronald Manderscheid, and we're talking about um, health care reform. And early in our first segment, you, 
you said how optimistic you were about um, the chances for us getting really viable health care reform. And what's different this time from when you were involved with the Clinton administration's attempt at health care reform? I think my perception of that would be that this time we have formed a coalition between the White House, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Congress and the House and the Senate, and the business community, including the insurance community. So you have all of the key players sitting at the table together in a way that I don't think was ever achieved 15 years ago. And so a critical part of this for your listeners to watch as we go through this process <clears throat> is whether we're able to maintain those coalitions going forward as we actually get into the writing phase of this new legislation and we get into the phase where these various bills are introduced on the Hill and so on. But I think that is a major difference from... Previously, I think another thing that's happened to us as a society is we can no longer afford not to do health care reform simply because of the financial condition of our society, that we're spending such a huge amount of money per year on this. And for your listeners, we're currently spending about $2.3 trillion a year on health care in the United States. Uh, which is a vast amount of money. That's about three times the size of the stimulus package, to put it into perspective here, a huge amount of money. And for that, as I indicated earlier, we aren't getting very good quality. So I think I'm very optimistic because the coalition exists, there's motivation to do this, and everybody's enthusiastic about moving it along. Let me... I want to point out a couple of additional resources for your listeners. We'll put this up on the website uh, in addition to the other documents I've mentioned. I have a document in my hand right here called America's Uninsured Crisis, Consequences for Health and Healthcare. It's a very short little paper of about six pages from the Institute of Medicine that talks to the consequences of not having health insurance coverage for people who are uninsured. Now, let me read just one example in here. Heart attack. Uninsured adults are more likely than insured adults to die after a heart attack. So even if you get care, the probability is higher that you will die than someone who's in the next bed who has health insurance. Diabetes. Uninsured adults have significantly worse glycemic control than insured adults. And so on. So I'm going to put this out on the site for your readers to listen to and look at. Uh, the final document I want to point out, and I want to put this out there because I think it re represents in part a paradigm shift in this area. It's called the Recommendations of the Secretary's Advisory Committee on National Health Promotion and Disease Prevention. And this is the set of recommendations for the framework and the format of Healthy People 2020, which is a set of goals for health for the United States in 2020. What's very interesting about this report is the fact that it focuses on the social and physical determinants of health. So instead of saying, <coughs> excuse me, how can we help someone 
after they develop diabetes, it goes all the way back up to the very early years of your life and says, <clears throat> how can we change your education while you're in primary school to reduce the, your risk of developing diabetes? What do we need to do about health education? What do we need to do about disparities in care? What do we need to do about the effects of poverty? How could we use Head Start? And so on. So it's a very different model uh, that, and an important one that we're going to need to take on as a society to move this debate very far upstream. So I want to make that available to your listeners also. Thank you. And I think one of the important things that everyone needs to understand is that we live in a democracy, and it's not us sitting back waiting for the politicians to write the bill. We need to have our voice, especially if we're interested in having health care. We need to be part of the process. It's, it's about advocacy as much as it is about um, anything else. I totally agree, and that's the final point I want to leave with your listeners this is not simply about Ron Manderscheid and Mary Wood talking here about health reform. This is about every listener on your program becoming engaged in this issue and taking every opportunity in their life, whether it be at their local church, at their local school, uh, giving testimony to the local city council, giving testimony in the state legislature, becoming engaged in these issues and having an opinion about them, having an opinion about universal coverage, uh, having an opinion about the medical health homes we talked about, and speaking up and saying we need some of these things and we need it in our community because we have this particular problem. So I think engagement is just so very important and the politicians who are going to be working on health reform expect that engagement. That gives them feedback of what they ought to be doing and ought not to be doing in health reform. So, I, you know, that's the final point that I would want to leave with every one of your listeners. It is don't sit aside and wait for somebody else to do it. Be, become engaged in this issue yourself and ask how you yourself can change health care, can change insurance coverage in your own business, in your own community, in your own faith-based organization, and so on. There are some questions that we can link to this <clears throat> that I think, you know, in behavioral health care, maybe some of your listeners can help with. And maybe you could send us those questions. I'll be happy to send you. I'm going to, I'll send you a set of overheads that include these questions also. All right. And if everyone gives us a day or two to get our website adjusted, we'll have all this information that Ron has given us on health care reform on our website at westbridge.org. Ron, thank you so much for an hour that just flew by on a very important topic that affects all of us. And Mary, thank you. thank you for having me, and I look forward to future interactions with you. Thank you, Ron. Okay, thank you.
appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.